Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Well, great to be uh, back with you on this Palm Sunday evening. Man, I'll tell you, that first Palm Sunday evening must have been really something, right? Can't you see all the disciples saying, hey, that was a day, y'all. I mean, Jesus says, go into town and uh, go up to this guy and tell him the master needs this donkey. The guy gives it. They bring it out. Jesus knew, of course, what was coming the whole time. But the disciples, I'm sure, were a little amazed. So then he starts riding the donkey into town. How many times they walked into Jerusalem? He never rode before. All of a sudden, some lady in the crowd throws a blanket down. Everybody's like, that's cool. Let's do it. And they start throwing blankets. Then they, I mean, I don't know if they got in trouble with the people in the town. They started cutting branches off trees. I wouldn't try that where you live if I was you. Of course, we're not even allowed to go outside right now. But can you imagine the time when they got together in the evening and they're like, that was something. Wasn't that something? I mean, the people were going crazy. Hosanna and King of Kings and Lord. That was something, y'all. That was something. Jesus, of course, was sitting off to the side, I'm sure, and smiling. Five days away from the cross. Four days away from sweating great drops of blood. Here it is. Here it is. Sometimes things change really fast. I think we're all reeling from how quickly things have changed. But don't let yourself think this is unprecedented. Don't let yourself think it hasn't happened before. I love the scripture that says that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. That word tempted can also mean tried. And uh, he went through the same things. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. No matter what you're going through, Jesus is like, been there done that, got victory, you can too. So Palm Sunday evening, back into God's word, let's go. I'm preaching here at Calvary Chapel, South Bay. And I gotta say, I was expecting a little bigger crowd, but I have uh, come to be fond of the cameraman. And uh, you know, um, this is the congregation the Lord has for me. I know there's people watching all around the area here because this is your church and uh, we love Pastor Jeff and his family and And uh, the team here, um, this is God's appointed place for us now, and we feel very privileged to be serving. So let me just say uh, from the outset, I'll do my like home alone face. This, This is a topical series. This is a topical series. Why are we doing a topical series? We're doing a topical series because some things, not my preferred method, not the preferred method of this church, not the thing I normally do, But some things in the Bible can only be found by going to the places where it is. And remember, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And while we love to study verse by verse, we're going to be very careful with the verses that we go to. And just because I want to be like super clear, like super clear, let me say this is the third study. And in each one of these studies, we're going to be doing two things every time, just so you can follow it. The series is called... Uh, promises, promises, you know, like promises, promises, but like the first one, question mark, the second one, exclamation mark, like promises, promises, like what does God give me for these hard times? Promises, promises. He gives promises, his promises. And so in every 
uh, message you're going to hear through the end of this series, two things. Number one, a theology of promise. So I'm going through uh, the Word of God, and, and I'm studying actually building a theology to undergird the idea of promise. So when you get one in your hand and you get one in your heart, you'll know what you have, okay? And then uh, this second thing in every message, first a theology of promise, and then a category of promise, all right? So I want to start with a little bit uh, of review uh, in this message. And let me just first uh, pray if you've got to get your Bible open because you get nervous. Man, he's been up there for three minutes already. We haven't even got to a Bible passage yet. I did quote a couple scripture, and we're going to be in Hebrews 6 in just a minute. So first, let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. And so we open it with expectant hearts because you've met us through your word so many times before. Some of us have longed for days of freedom where we could be in your word more. And I pray that that is one of the fruits of this challenging time. Thank you for the privilege of preaching your word and be with every hearer wherever they are. By faith, I can see them in their homes, in their cars, in an office, by a computer, on a television screen. God, I pray today for every pastor who is so unfamiliar with these methodologies and is maybe for the very first time having to imagine his congregation. Would you bless him and bless every person speaking for you with fruitful ministry from your word? And though I've done this before, I confess fresh dependence upon you that it might be done well and bring you glory and build up your church, specifically this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so Hebrews 6, did you get there? Were you turning? Were your eyes closed when I was praying? No, you were peeking and turning, weren't you? Awesome, now we're there together. Hebrews 6, uh, 17, I'm kind of blown away by this, a theology of promise, Jot this down first. There's three things coming. The first two are review, and then I'm going to build on it. Where we started a couple of weeks back, uh, God is a promiser. Hebrews 6.17 says, so when God desired to show more convincingly, God, why did God make promises? Why does God make promises? Because he wants his children to be convinced. He wants them to be Confident, he wants them to be persuaded. God wants you to be on it, on it, on it, on it. What's happening? God said, well, what's gonna happen? God said, God wants us to be confident. So he, he's a promiser. He communicated to us through promises. And then it says here in the text, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of, seriously? It's such a big deal, this theology of promise. It's how God relates to his children that we're called heirs of, through faith in Jesus, uh, we're called heirs of the promise. We're children of promise. We are, through faith in Jesus, we are the blood-bought sons and daughters of the promiser. He's the promiser, we're the heirs of the promise. What's our inheritance? What do we get? What do we get? What do we get? We get God's promises, and it's such an awesome thing. I love that. So God is a promiser by nature because he wants us to be confident. Then this, God keeps his promises. Notice how Hebrews 6 continues. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character, come on, if you're not alone right now, just, or even if you are, say out loud, 
unchangeable. Come on, say it, unchangeable, say it. Unchangeable. How often does God change? Um, let's go with never. He's exactly as he's always been. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeable character of his purpose, well, what if it's different? What if he's not going to be the way he used to be? He's unchangeable. The theological term for that is the immutability of God. Notice this. He guaranteed it with an oath. God made an oath. He made like a huge contract. He made an I swear, in other words. So that by two unchangeable, there's the word again, twice in a verse and a half. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible uh, for God to lie. So here's the thing. A God is a promiser. God keeps his promises because it's impossible for God to lie. Everyone say impossible. Okay, now that doesn't mean it's hard for God to lie because God can do anything. God's not lacking the ability to lie. And that's not uh, saying that God um, um, is unlikely to lie. That would be a matter of chance or circumstance. No, no, the Bible says God cannot lie He does not change. He knows what he promised and he's kept it. So God is a promiser. God keeps his promises. And now something a little bit new. um, And I love this. It's heating up, y'all. God wants us to test his promises. He wants us, hear that for the first time. He wants us to test his promises. Psalm 119, 140 says this. Your promise is well-tested and my soul loves it. Man, to get to that place, right? How many of us desperately need to move from where we've been this past week onto the solid footing of your promises are well-tested and my soul loves them. Now, see, that's one of the ways that we're not like God um, at all. We make promises, right? We make promises to people. And, and I know a lot of people are hurting right now. And my wife and I uh, don't have a lot. Um, but I think if uh, Alex, uh, the worship leader here, were to come up to me and say, dude, you can't believe it. It's rough. We've had to lend some money to some friends. And I just don't think we can pay our rent this month. Or, I mean, I, I got to say, I think I might say to him, I'll, I'll, I'll pay it for you. If you need me to pay it for you, I'll pay it for you. If you need me to, I will. Now, I've got to be honest. I would do that out of love for him, but I hope he doesn't need me to. You know, like I would if he had, if, if I had to, but I'm not like, boy, I really hope he runs short because I mean, I just can't wait to pay his rent. No, I, I, I mean, I mean, how many of us have walked to the front of a church and made some promises. Those of us who marry people have the promises memorized, you know. I do have this woman to be your wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for, do you know what the next part is? For, for better, for, I gotta be tell you, I'm ready for worse, but I hope it's better. I'm not like looking for worse, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, but I know what I would vote for. 
I hope it's richer. I mean, we'll handle poorer if it comes, but I want richer in sickness and in. But I tried to pick a healthy girl, you know, because you see how we are? We make promises and what we say is, I will if I have to, I'll do my best. I hope it doesn't come to that. God is the opposite of that. Because his capacity is unlimited and because he never changes, God is actually hoping, hoping, hoping. He doesn't have to hope. He just commands because he is sovereign. Now, if you've been spoiled on the sovereignty of God because you've listened to a lot of people with heavy arms and hard times, you know, God is sovereign. <laughs> God is sovereign. <laughs> God is sovereign. Really? Really? It's actually a beautiful truth. I prefer the more descriptive that God is in control. And God is ordering the circumstances of life such that nothing comes into the life of his children, but that he's already signed off on his intent to use it. And he wants us to test his promises. You know, big thing churches are facing these days is um, seeing God meet their financial needs. And I'm sure you're looking at what you have and saying to yourself, man, how's this less going to become what it needs to be? Well, I can just say this as the guest preacher. Don't leave God out. Don't leave God out. He wants you to test his promises. Don't you think God knows what you have? Don't you think God sees what you give? Y'all don't want to be sending the message to God. Can't trust you now. I can trust you on a sunny day, but it's super cloudy right now. I got to take control of this myself. Boy, there's never been a better time to be faithful in your giving because you're signaling to God, I'm trusting your promises. And he wants them tested. This is one of the only times in scripture God says, bring the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food enough in my house. We take care of God's house. God takes care of our house. And he says, and test me now in this. <laughs> it's like God, you know what throwing down the gauntlet is? It's like a big um, glove that a knight would wear. And instead of like slapping you in the face with it, he would like throw it down in front of you. And in a sense, God kind of throws down in Malachi 3. And he says, you don't think I'm God? You don't think you can trust me? You don't think I can open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you? You won't even be able to count it all. If you want that in your future, be faithful to God today. Be faithful in the valley and God will get you to the mountain he wants you on top of. And just if you could just get his heart in it. Some of us are a little bit like, back to the Alex and the rent analogy, like if I found out he was like spending it foolishly so he could get on the promise. Well, God doesn't want us to be foolish, but he does want us to test his promises. If someone's testing a promise I made, I'm like nervous. I hope I don't run out. But God isn't nervous and he doesn't run out, do you see? So he's actually, oh, I love it. Look at them, they're trusting me. Look at her, she's trusting me. Look at him, how he's trusting me. God loves it. So that's the theology of it. In another study that I'm doing right now, it's on my website, I'm going through the book of Joshua and at the end of Joshua, it says 2145, there failed not one of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. Wow. 
in 1 Kings 8, 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. So make a note of this if you like to jot things down. This is true for every single human being listening. Here it is. My life is proof of the word of God. It is. I don't, I don't even, man, I don't even believe the word of God. Then your life will be proof of the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away, Jesus said. All right? Not one word of God's promises is going to fail. So much so that if we trust and believe in his promises, then we're going to live lives of blessing and faith and obedience, and we'll be so thankful that we did. If we choose to disbelieve God's word, then the biblical threats of promised consequence and judgment related to disobedience, that'll be our future. Every person is proving the word of God. Jeremiah chapter one, verse two says that he watches over his word to perform it. That's kind of awesome because of course, God has total comprehension of his word, but he's still watching. Okay, now this is the COVID-19 thing. And okay, what do we say we would do? All right, he's watching, he's mindful of the things he's promised and he is watching over his word, Jeremiah chapter one to perform it. So let's remember our definition, a promise. A promise is what God, the assurance that God gives his children so that they can wait by faith for him to work. So we have this, this promise made. I'm getting pretty good at AV here. If anyone hasn't noticed that, you can you know, just send me a little applause on the side. But this is a very technical piece of equipment used in teaching. It's a teaching aid. Sorry, gift of sarcasm is breaking out here. Promise made, and then, so there's that, and then there's this. I've been saying it a little bit different every week. Promise here it is, promise kept. Now, there is this, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And then there is this, the promise kept. And we're living our life right here. And as you live between those two pillars, all right, if you, can I stand here? Is this the place you're allowed to stand? I mean, if you're living between these two pillars here, God said it, I believe it, that settles it and I'm waiting for him to do it. That's what this whole series is really all about. And so the theology of promise, God keeps his promises. God is a promiser. He keeps his promises. He wants us to test his promises. And so now we're going to move into the third condition and the third promise that God gives. You know, things that he says over and over in his word not an isolated promise. I don't know another verse quite like the Jeremiah when he watches over his word to perform it. But there's a lot of verses in the Bible about his word. And in the same way, I wanna talk now from Psalm 27, 13. I wanna talk about God is always good. I, but before we can get to the provision, we have to talk about the problem. Where does the goodness of God fit most perfectly in the human condition? What are his promises about his goodness meant 
to alleviate. Uh, the word is despair. And it's, it's not a great word. Jot this down. I will not despair. Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, despair is a place that no person should ever go. You, you, <laughs> you don't want anyone that you know to go to despair. Despair is not discouragement. We all have that. Despair is not, wow, it's really dark. Despair is dark and deep and damp and like it's never going to change. I have a uh, confession to make. I, if you have uh, pleasure in laughing at others, you'll enjoy uh, this little confession. When I was a kid, we used to travel. My father was a school teacher, and so we traveled a lot in the summertime, and we had a, one of those little pop-up trailers, and we went to all 10 Canadian provinces, and we went to, I think, 41 states. My wife, Kathy's fond of saying, well, I don't think you really went to them. I mean, some of them you might have, like, passed across the corner of it. Hey, hey, don't be so bitter. <laughs> 41 states, and, and I think probably I've been maybe all of them now, but when we were a kid, like that was pretty fun going to check out all those things. And so one of the best memories I have as a kid was we went to the Carlsbad uh, Caverns. And these are like these deep, deep caves. And a couple of weeks ago, because I've got some time on my hands, I got in my truck and I drove down south here, south of Orange County, I guess, to Carlsbad because I wanted to see these caverns. Um, then I couldn't find them. So I Googled, they're in, uh, New, in New Mexico. There is a Carlsbad here, but that's not the cavern thing. Did you have that? Put the, I didn't have that. So anyway, when I was a kid, I went to these Carlsbad caverns. And I can remember on the tour, like you would go down, 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 around and down, around and down. And I mean, I mean it, and if they didn't have a light, I mean, it is so dark, y'all. Like I can't see my hand right in front of my face. And that's what despair is like. I can't see my hand in front of my face. I have no point of, what is happening? What is real? What, what is lasting? And, and worse than that, not just dark, but despair is, dictionary defines it as destitute of positive expectation without hope, no light and no idea of how it will ever improve, going down deeper and deeper and no idea how to stop it and no sense that it's ever going to be good again. So if you understand despair, and I speak about it very gently and pastorally with a heart for you, if you're in that place, I want to just say to you, that's wrong thinking. It isn't true. I understand that it feels true. You're like, well, I don't even know what to do about it. Well, I'm trying gently to help you to know what to do about it. You have this and you're waiting for this. So you're holding on to this. You're holding on to this. He's holding on to you and you're holding on to his promises. If you have fear, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you have doubt, he says, I am in control. 
And if you're feeling despair, he says, I'm good. I'm good. David said it. I, I got to the corner. I saw the turns. One sign pointed this way to despair. And I was going there. I was going to despair. And I would have went. Except that I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired. Circumstances were pushing me that way. Someone was calling out from the land of despair, come over here, give it up, lay down. It's over. Nothing is over. Nothing is over. Word of God, speak to God's children in this moment. We're heirs of a promise. We're heirs of a promise. Our father loves to make them and wants us to test them. And it's going to be so exciting as he begins to keep his promises. You know, um, I love David's honesty. He's a man after God's own heart. He was anointed by Samuel. He was a slayer of giants, but he was no stranger to suffering. And if David had reason for despair, you don't need to feel guilty that you've struggled with it. You don't need to beat yourself up because it's harder for you than it is for some others that don't seem to carry the weight that you carry. You just need to know this. Despair is a really serious thing and you don't want, I'm just gonna just from my heart, I just wanna say this, you don't need to mess around with despair, y'all. Okay, in fact, um, I'm kind of famous for liking Firestarter. Um, I don't know if I'm alone in this. It's hard to preach this in an empty room because you don't know if everybody's like, that guy's a freak. But I really like Firestarter. Like, I like it a lot. I'm not in counseling about it, but if I'm ever by a fire and there's some Firestarter there, that, body, that bottle's going to get used, y'all. When we were kids, my dad would like the barbecue. He'd go in the house. We'd run over to the barbecue. <laughs> and then you know about how long he's going to be in there getting the hot dogs or whatever. So you quick set the bottle down. He comes back out. The thing's like up about eight feet. And you're like, whoa, dad, nice barbecue. Did you touch the fire starter? Uh, all I'm saying is, if you understand maybe a little bit of comic relief, because now I have to say that there are some things that are accelerants on despair, and I want to talk to you about them because I want you to don't touch the bottle. Here's three accelerants on despair. Number one, and this is beyond our control, surprise. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. I'm, I'm sure that you feel the way that Kathy and I feel. I feel like I'm the king of I didn't see it coming. We had a plan and nothing in our life right now is the plan. That's before the COVID thing. And uh, I think my wife is um, really pretty, like prettier than your wife by quite a bit. But this week she went to Phoenix. I, I'm sure she was tired of looking at me. I'll say that for sure. And can't we all agree this came out of nowhere. Where did this come from? Things were, we had a plan. And, but listen, 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 we're all standing over the milk that's been spilled. 
were all standing over plans that went south. Nobody diagrammed this as part of their sort of life sketch. So just call surprise for what it is, because that can be such an accelerant. We were just caught off guard. And then this, um, the severity of it. Another big accelerant on despair is how severe it is. And um, this is pretty severe. And I wouldn't want you to think that I know where my financial future is at. I for sure don't. And uh, that's what's true. And if you're not sure about your job, me neither. 14 months, haven't worked. Wouldn't let this church, certainly not at a time like this. They've been so gracious and beautiful to us, but they have their own pressures. And so I guess I'm just saying that because I just want you to know that you're not the only person that doesn't have an awesome plan, but we have an awesome God and he's a promiser and he's made promises to us. So surprise and severity are accelerants. And then probably this is the hardest part is, is when it's settled. That's a big accelerant on despair. Well, I just can't see a way for this to change. Things are never going to go back to the way they were. Hey, can we all just let go of the way things were? Can we just say goodbye to the way things were? Bye to the way things were. Let's don't dream of a past that wasn't perfect and let's don't glamorize it as though it's the best that things can be. I'm not looking to get back to where we were. I'm looking to get to the promised land. I'm looking for the milk and honey. I'm looking for the better days that are coming. That's what David was saying when he was saying, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see, unless I had believed, that's faith and confidence, faith and confidence. Isaiah 30, 15 says, in quietness and confidence is your strength. Exodus 14, 13, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, that he will work for you. You will not have to fight in this battle. Only be silent. That's my worst thing. I know, I know. And just too many words and and how God must get weary of the cacophony of human words. No surprise, he steps up sometimes and says, hey, y'all, be still and know that I'm God. I got this. I'm going to handle this. Let me take care of this. I love that. Again, just a word at a time, y'all, breaking down this promise. I would have despaired unless I had believed. I'm holding on to it. I'm believing that the promise made is going to become the promise kept. I believe it. I would have despaired unless I believed, here it comes, that I would see. I just love that. I'm going to see it, and not from heaven, y'all. I'm going to actually see it. I'm going to be here on, because that's the next phrase, that I would see the goodness of the Lord. I'm going to come back to that at length as I move toward closing, but... I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This isn't from the balcony of heaven thing. I'm still going to be feet on terra firma. I'm still going to be oxygen in these lungs. These eyes are going to look upon the 
God is good. Look at that. That's the promise. Because I don't just want to know that my marriage is going to be healed. I want to experience it. I don't just want to know that my prodigal is going to come home. I want to be there to welcome them. I don't just want to know that health will return. I want to do the things with greater gratitude that I took for granted before. I don't just want to know that my finances are going to be replenished. I want to be the generous person that I'd always thought I would be. And I want another chance to be here on earth doing those things. God sees your heart. And I commend you this promise. And I want to say this uh, personally without, um, without um, drama. There isn't a verse in all of God's word that has more of my tears on it than Psalm 27, 13. I've held on to this. I have, God knows, I have held on to this. No matter what it feels like, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it's sounding like, God is still God. And he loves when we test his promises. So get with us and hold on to this with us. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. And if you're with me, I'll invite you to the party. When we're gazing upon the goodness of the Lord in this life and saying, see how awesome he is. See how great the Lord is. What people said could not be done. God has done. And if I didn't believe it, I would have despaired. And what is the thing most specifically? Let's just break this down a little bit now as we think about wrapping this up. Some of the Caribbean countries that I've been blessed to preach in have this. And because we're blessed to have so many people who have emigrated from these countries here in the U.S., it's kind of popular here now too. Do you know that? Or you say as a greeting, God is good. And you know what they answer? They say all the time. And then there's a little pause and then they say all the time. And you say, God is good. God is good all the time. And God is good. God is good. God is good. This is so central, so foundational. And uh, one of the buildings that was given to our church uh, back in Chicago had a very uh, surprise secret file in it. It was just in a filing cabinet. The building was empty. There was no reason for it to be there. And there was a file folder full of pieces of paper like this. There were hundreds and hundreds of personally taking, taken and then typed out notes from sermons preached. Last one was preached in 1960. A.W. Tozer. He pastored at Southside Alliance Church in Chicago, and he's always been a hero of mine. And he preached some incredible messages. In fact, let me just say to you during this time, you have some time. If you haven't read The Pursuit of God and Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, I'm not sure what you're reading because those are two of the best books ever written. I've been at pastor's conferences where pastors would be asked, if you're on a desert island, you can only have two books, what would you have? Well, I'd have my Bible. 
But other than my Bible, I mean, those would be right up there. The Pursuit of God and Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Get them and read them. And uh, so this is a sermon by A.W. Tozer, preached um, on September the 25th, 1955. And uh, right before he preached, the ladies' trio sang. And the sermon, Jesus saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick, Matthew 14, 14. And he has this little phrase, thoughts, feelings, actions, in that order. That determines our lives for good or bad. The message was 48 minutes long. Tozer preached in his church for 30 years, and you can read in his biography about how he came suddenly and painfully to leave his church and move to Toronto, Canada, kind of a Siberian assignment, when he was in his 60s. And um, how did such beautiful teaching come out of this man Well, he suffered greatly. Both of their sons uh, fought in the Great War. Um, Again, I think it's a little sensitive, so I'm not going to say anything more. But if you read his biography, uh, God in Pursuit, you will see how uh, this man uh, suffered uh, a great deal for the Lord. And uh, so the question comes to anyone suffering, uh, do you believe that God is good? You know, as a pastor, I've stood at the front of the church. I've stood too many times at the head of tiny caskets and tried to find words for people who are crushed in spirit. And I know the place where this rubs. I believe in God. I'm not even lost my faith. I know that God is real. I believe the gospel. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I believe all of that. But where the granite cracks is across the line. But is he good? Because I've seen a lot of things happen and they don't look very, they don't feel very good. They don't seem very good. And that's why we have to be willing to wait for God to show it. That's why we hang on to his promises that he's made while we wait for him to keep them. That's what we're doing. What are we doing right now? We're hanging on to God's promise that he's good and we're waiting to see it and we're confessing it out loud as often as we need to. Look, you got any more verses for this? Okay, just two and then I'll close. I had never done this in my life before. In my final year at the church in Chicago on a Sunday morning, never dreaming I was in my last year there, I got to the church, I got out of the car, I had my Bible in my notes, like I always did. And between my car and the green room, the Lord spoke to me and said, change your message. I don't have a lot of these stories. If you listen to me, I'm not like a God told me guy because that's always a little like, what, what? Some people seem to have it happen like every seven minutes or something. I'm like, write that stuff down, dude. But I do believe that God can speak into our spirit in a way that wouldn't be any clearer if it were audible. The spirit bears witness with our spirit, the Romans chapter eight says. And so, um, yeah, the Lord said to me, I want you to speak on Jeremiah 29, 11. And it was so clear that I would feel that I was saying, well, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so I went backstage and I wrote down some notes on a piece of paper. Jeremiah, I never preached on it, never. And I made up a sermon in... I don't kind of want to tell you this because I spend hours on my messages, but this one took five minutes. It's all I had. 
I know the plans I have for you. That's so awesome. He knows. Listen, right now, he already knows. He knows. And it's a plan. He's got a plan. Everybody say he's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's, he knows what it is. He's not like, well, figure it out. No, 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 no. I know the plan that I have. And it's, it's not something like, well, I'm going to do this stuff in the world. No. For you, you are not forgotten by God. You are not lost to his gaze. The Bible says that his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, searching for those on whose behalf he can show himself strong. I want to be like, over here. Show yourself strong over here. So I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, it's the idea of of blessing, of goodness. To give you a future, you have a future. The goodness of God promises a future to you. Nothing is over. Goodness is coming. Better days are ahead. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. He promises. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity. It sure seems like it. That's why we have promises, so we don't have to get stuck on what it looks like. To give you a future and a hope. And then, do you know the biggest God's goodness verse in the Bible? One time I did a survey and I had people from all over from our teaching ministry on radio and television. I had them send in your favorite promises and we got them thousands of them. So I have a little informal survey. You know, when they're, when they're on Fox News and like we did a survey, you know, like a lot of times they ask like four people in the newsroom, right? This was like a legit survey, y'all. I put this out everywhere and we got thousands of responses. Send in your favorite promise. Send in your favorite promise. I haven't told you what number one is yet, but do you know what number two was? Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 is such a big goodness of God promise that it's one of the few scriptures that you can quote the reference and people know what you're talking about. If you go John 3, 16, people have got it. Rainbow hair, that guy, gospel, got it. But if you say like Psalm 27, 13, I would have despaired. They're like, what? I got to look that up. I got to look that up. But Romans 8, 28 has the unique distinction of being a verse that you can just say to your sister, to your brother, hey, come on, hey, come on, come on, man, you know, you know, come on. Romans 8, 28, man, come on. Which says, you know, God is causing. People are like, did God cause, did God cause the, did, 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 did God cause the COVID thing? Well, he allowed it for sure. I know some people think they're giving God a leg up by making him causal to everything. And in a sense, he's causal in that he could have prevented it. You know, if a bank robbery goes down and you could have stopped it with a snap and you didn't stop it, then you can own that. God owns it all. He owns it all. God's not afraid to own everything that's happening. You can diagnose the causal things. I just know this. God is causing all things to work together for the good of those that love him. That's like, God is causing. He's right there in it, right there in it, right there in the middle of the coronavirus. God's there 
causing all things. Now, as a pastor, I can't just run over that. Some people listening to this have lost loved ones. I'm I'm so sorry. But it doesn't change the bedrock that the saints have rested upon for centuries. And you don't have to feel it today. Just let your brother know it for you. You'll see it in this life. And we're going to believe for you today. God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him. And that's not meant to be like, well, do I love him? I think I love him. Let's sing some songs about loving him so I can feel my love for him. No, it means, is this the pattern of your life? Is this the growing pattern of your life? In the original language, it's called the present active indicative. I'm not trying to sound smart and you don't need to remember that. I'm just telling you I studied it carefully. It means if the overarching pattern of your life is love for God, Three steps forward, two steps back, but increasingly so. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I don't know what to tell you. It's so hard sometimes, but I love the Lord. I can't get away from it. For you, God is causing all things to work together for good. So don't despair. You're going to see it in the land of the living. And we're coming to the party. Let's pray. Father, seal these realities to our hearts and let us hold on to them as they are in truth, exceedingly great and precious promises. We have put our weight down upon them and they are holding us up for the person who's struggling. Lift them by the truth of your word. Lift us all as we lift your great name the name of Jesus in which we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.